my lowest point, I completely lost the plot and turned the house over and ran out on my wife. I just left her on the floor, crying her eyes out. I just drove off, not wanting to be here anymore. You're listening to the England Rugby Podcast, O2 Inside Line, and I'm Joe Marler. Rugby was huge for me and my social skills. Every Sunday, I would love going down there with my best mate. That's what I used to love, going and seeing my mates and how big a social environment it was to just go and have fun as a big rugby family. And then tuck it in to half a pint of Guinness and a Mars bar every Sunday. That was a tradition. (laughs) That was set in early. I'm 184 centimetres, approximately 129 kilograms. And I play for Harlequins FC. And I live in a little town in East Sussex. Not going to give you the direct address. Last time I did that, people were sending fake pizza deliveries to my house. The position that I play on the field is loose head prop. I'm Kyle Sinclair and I play for Bristol Bears. How would I describe Joe Marler on the pitch? Obviously, I play against him most of the time for Bristol Harlequins. Joe on the field's tough. Tough, 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 tough. Plays hard, works hard, great pro. Plays the game the right way in terms of the way he hits, the way he carries, the way he scrums. And obviously, he's a character as well, which um, people want to see, people want to be entertained. I kind of grew up in the local rugby club. My dad used to play for the local club, Hellingly. And it was very much a social side. They didn't have a clubhouse, so they changed at a pub called the White Hart across the road from the playing field. So I I grew up in rugby clubs, but never really played it. I was asked to go down by my best mate because they were short of a few. And he said, you're a big lad. And I was a big lad. I enjoyed my food, particularly microwaved bacon. I don't know if you've ever tried that, but it's, it's actually really nice. Really enjoyed the first session playing rugby and looked around and there was a lot of other big lads like myself, so thoroughly enjoyed myself. It gave me that purpose and that sense of, I play rugby. One of the earliest memories I have was Richard Cockrell coming to open up the new pitch at Hellingly Rugby Club and I was 11 or 12 And there's a picture of me with him as a 12-year-old, the shaved head. I looked like, like he also had bald head, Fester-like. It was like mini Fester. And I said that to him when I first met him in camp. I found it quite weird and surreal that fast forward to this lovely, delightful podcast, I'm talking about him being my England coach now. The first thing is, he's a very good rugby player, and I think um, sometimes that gets forgotten. I'm Colin Osborne. When Joe was a youngster, about 14, I was his academy manager. 
He was in our Sussex Academy. I had a, a phone call from one of the coaches and he said, there's a lad down here you need to have a look at. Very, very good player, but it's not straightforward or it's quite complicated, I think is the way he expressed it. <laughs> How that manifested itself, the usual thing, overly aggressive behaviour on the field. He'd have come up short with referees and coaches. Went down and watched him training. Very quick for a big lad. Very good skill set, good hand-eye coordination, could catch, pass. He actually was a good rugby player, first and foremost. And that was the thing that interested me, a very, very talented young lad. We organised a meeting for him with Jason Leonard, because Jason also was a bit of a tear away in his day. And, you know, he learned how to manage that. Did he have, for want of a better word, mood swings? Definitely. And we all knew when he was in a good mood, we all knew when he was not in a good mood. The, the root cause, I couldn't say it with any honesty that I had suspicions that there was something darker or deeper going on, but definitely aware of the, you know, the different mood states that he went through. I have delved into my mental health pretty deep in the last couple of years. It was probably going on a lot longer than I thought it was. Thinking of my own future too far ahead was actually part of the problem because I'd end up worrying too far ahead about what if this doesn't happen, what if that doesn't happen, and then I couldn't really compartmentalise all those thoughts or feelings but it wasn't until 2018 when I pulled out of the England squad, officially retired, because I thought enough was enough and I was, I was sort of at a low point. I thought being part of the England rugby team, that sort of spotlight was an added pressure that I didn't need and taking that away, I'd, I'd be all right. It didn't make a difference. I was still struggling. Um, I was still struggling at home. Uh, I was still struggling with family life. We had two young kids and another one due. And I couldn't work out what was going on. My lowest point was something ended up happening at home and I completely lost the plot and turned the house over and ran out on my wife, left her. She was seven months pregnant at the time. I just left her on the floor, crying her eyes out. I just drove off, not wanting to be here anymore. That was the moment where I was just like, I need help. I need help. So I did, I went and got help. I went and saw a psychiatrist called Humphrey. And uh, I was like, oh, I'm not comfortable doing this, even with someone called Humphrey. And I got there, and what an incredible, lovely bloke he was. Spoke about a lot of things with him. He diagnosed me with depression. And I was like, yeah, OK, mate. And he recommended going on medication, and uh, he recommended counselling. And even then, I was still at the, the sort of, denial point even though I'd hit my lowest point 
I was still very much trying to fight it. The more I delved into it, the more I realised that I needed to open myself up. I needed to allow myself to, to experience these things in order to move forward. Since that point, I'm so glad of the things that I've discovered, both about myself, but also about the people around me and the experiences have enabled me to enjoy life that bit more. Now I've got an understanding where mental health to me is very similar to my physical health. It's just harder to measure. Physical health, you know when you run down, you can feel it. But I was like, you, you can't do that with your mental health, but you can. You can, and it's as important as your physical health. And now I do stuff in order to make my mental health be in a good place as opposed to a bad place, which it, it still can do at times. It's, it's, it's a funny one because it's not like an end. It's not like an end point where I can give you all the answers. It's like, well, this is how I feel at the minute. And I know that that might change in a week's time or a month's time. So I don't try and look too far ahead anymore. I try and stay a bit more in the present. I try and focus on the the day-to-day, -day, the week-to-week -week of just normal life of, right, I've got to do the kids' school meals these this week. I've only just realised on this app that you do to fill out their school meals, I used to have. To, I used to think you do them every day before 8.30am and if you miss it, they're like, oh my God, I'm, the bad, I'm that bad parent. You can do three weeks in advance and I've only just, and I did it just before I came here. I described Joe on a pitch as a weird, weird, weird dude, but in a very good way. I'm Ellis Gunch. I play loose prop for Leicester Tigers. He's so good for the game. He's quite outspoken, like turning up to the games and all those mad outfits and that. Like, it's class to see someone sort of changing the sport like that. So I think because he's a big dude, obviously people think like he probably ain't too phased by things, but he's obviously quite emotional as well. He's had a tough time with it. But no, I've never sat down and spoke to him about it. I guess it's been a tough one for my teammates because I've been so far that end of the scale in terms of aggressive, defence walls up that I've never let anyone get anywhere near me. So then when I did open up, there was still that from my teammates, a bit like, oh, we're still not sure how to talk to you or we're still not sure because they thought this persona is still there or that lot. It's then on me to go and work on that perception to be like, actually, no, I'd, I'd like to speak to you. I'd like to open up to you. And vice versa, I want to be approachable for you. I want to be here to help you. Once I did a bit of work on that and teammates who'd been feeling similarly, they reached out and they've been really supportive. My teammates have been nothing but supportive. It helps get the conversation going around mental health in, in rugby. Masculinity in rugby union. I think it's probably going through a, a bit of a change at the minute. It's okay to show emotion. It's okay to communicate openly. It's okay to say how you feel rather than bottling it all up, thinking that you need to be this 
stoic type character. For me, society is definitely starting to challenge that stereotype of what it means to be a man. And particularly young rugby players, it's also important to have that mindset off the field and be in a good spot with your mental health off the field to improve yourself on the field. It's no good you going on the field, you, you, you set a goal that you, I want to be the best fly-off in the world, but off the field you really struggle to open up and you really struggle to communicate. You're always going to struggle on the field then. We don't want to alienate ourselves just because everyone drinks loads of beer and we're all big, strong men. We want it to be an environment where people can come and express themselves and be whoever they want to be and play an incredible sport. We're getting there. You always need to improve on it, but we're getting there. The more conversations that take place, the better it gets. Having made these changes over the last couple of years, I now sit in a much more stable position where I recognise better when I'm low, when I'm struggling, what makes me struggle, which means I can act more quickly on those thoughts, on those feelings, rather than letting them consume me and turn into giant dark clouds as opposed to just the odd shower. I don't mean like showers that are weirdly shaped. The analogy is using clouds. I don't mean physical shower heads that are like shaped like a, a tuba. I have a much happier home life, which is my priority. I have a much happier day-to-day -day relationship with my wife and with my kids. And then I've got some tools that I can grab out of my imaginary toolbox that I'm now pretending I've got and people can't see it on the podcast, but I'm, I'm still doing the hand motion. So I do stuff like, it's called open water swimming, but bear this in mind, I can't swim. So we've changed it to open water bobbing. So every Sunday, uh, me, my brother-in-law and a couple of friends of ours, we go down to the sea and we bob about in the freezing cold sea all year round. I get to open up to other guys, other men, about how their week's been, how my week's been, get to offload and check in with them. It becomes more about right, just connecting with nature. And I, I never thought I'd say that either. Old masculine me would be like, that's such a hippie thing to say, you can't say stuff like that. It's like, no, it's unbelievable, this giant sea. The vastness of it makes anything that I'm thinking in my head or any worry that I've got just feel really insignificant. The reason I thought it'd be a good idea to speak openly and honestly about what I'd been through was knowing that there might be someone else out there. And it's, it is very cliched and very thin, but it is extremely relevant that by me opening up, it made me feel better getting stuff off my chest. So it was like, well, if I can get someone else to do that and just help that one person, I was like, okay, let's give that a crack. To be honest, it was a big driver about coming back into the England squad as well. Back at the club, these young boys coming through, I really enjoyed trying to help them be themselves and navigate this rugby world, this bubble, as best they can whilst still enjoying themselves. The fact that Joe reached out, having gone through a lot of stress, is only a positive thing. So... I think 
Joe's actions are incredibly positive and will help a lot of people. If somebody reading his story thinks, actually, I can relate to that and I can see how a way forward now, then it's got to be a powerfully good thing. I'll always be a big advocate for speaking about your mental health, 100%, to the point that it becomes really normal. I was talking to someone the other day who's been going, um, going to therapy, and immediately when they started talking about it, the sort of t the tone changed. It was like, oh, yeah, I've, I've seen my, my therapist and they've spoken about that, blah, blah. and I was like, oh, my God. Why, why does the tone have to change? Why does it have to be, like, even, even sitting in this room doing this podcast, the tone's changed. And, you, you know, because you're talking about dark thoughts or you're talking about mental health, talking about suicide. Why? Why can't it be spoken about as just health? As, as, and that's part of the problem, that people don't want to talk about it because it's like, oh, God. Mental health is mental health. You don't have to go all, oh, my God, mental health. So, yeah, I will continue to, to speak out and try and make it as normal as possible. Everyone has the ability to show your emotion. You have the ability to show empathy and kindness when it's needed to anyone. The thing that made the most difference to me was accepting who I was having a bit more self-awareness of who I am and how I can help the people around me. Mm -hmm.